0: Let's pray and we'll dive into our text. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity just to be here, to, to gather, doing what your people have always done for generations and centuries, which is coming together around your word to see what you have to communicate to us. And the things that you communicate to us are such good news. They're the greatest of news, the greatest of things that we have heard the eternal things, the good things. Lord. In response to that we do today, what your people have always done, which is praise you and worship you for it. Lord, I pray that in that rhythm of the word and worship, that we would find great joy in it. I pray that uh, happiness would be found as we reflect upon these gospel truths, that they would truly be good news to us. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that this service is not ultimately about us, but about you. And we pray to that end that you would be glorified, that you would be held high and that you would uh, be magnificent for all the world to see and the things that are said and sung in this moment. Lord, what we mean is, is we pray that you are pleased with this service. So Lord, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus name we'll pray. Amen. Well, Aesop's fables are these ancient morality tales that were told many years ago by a man uh, named Aesop who was probably a Greek slave. And if you remember Aesop's fables from growing up, they're funny, they're creative, they're certainly memorable. But the point of Aesop's fables are to communicate these common sense truths. Um, I I read a funny, I don't know if it's funny, but it's certainly helpful, uh, Aesop fable this week called Belling the Cat. It goes like this. Long ago, the mice had a general council to consider what measures they could take to outwit their common enemy, the cat. Some said this and some said that, but at last, a young mouse got up and said that he had a proposal to make in which he thought that, that would meet the case. He said, you all agree that our chief danger consists in the sly and treacherous manner in which the enemy approaches us. Now, if we could receive some signal of her approach, we could easily escape from her. I venture, therefore, to propose that a small bell be procured and attached to a ribbon and then uh, set round the neck of the cat. By this means, we should always know when she was about and could easily retire while she was in the neighborhood. This proposal was met with a general applause until an old mouse got up and he said... This is all very well, but who is to bell the cat? The mice looked at one another and nobody spoke. Then the old mouse said, It's easy to propose impossible remedies. I sometimes feel that way when somebody tells me that I need to follow Jesus' example. Are you there? What would Jesus do, they say. That sounds great on a t-shirt or a bracelet. But man, don't you hear that and wonder, Yeah, but he's God. Like, is Jesus our example? Jesus is certainly our savior. But when I'm called to follow his example, it it just feels like such an impossible task, doesn't it? That Jesus is certainly God. He certainly has all these attributes that we don't possess, right? He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's also certainly our example. He's this way that we're supposed to live. We, we've been in John 1, and John 1 uh, highlights Jesus as the light of the world. Amen. He's this thing that we look up to as our Savior and our, as our Redeemer. But also what's embedded in that image is that he's this guide, kind of shining the way that we're supposed to go. And that way he's an example as, as well as a Savior. But when Jesus incarnated himself, he displayed his glory. And it was an object of both worship as well as an example to follow. But we can be tempted in that moment to hear this call to follow his example. We can be tempted in that moment to say, you know what? I can't do that. I'm not God. And thus we just totally check out. John 1.14, I think is good news today because not only does it call us to follow his example, follow his example to incarnate ourselves, to dwell with the world as he dwelled, But it also provides this solution to the problem of we really can't do that. So embedded in this is this this example of uh, of Jesus coming and dwelling. But it's an example to follow. But there's also a solution to the problem of following his example. Look with me, if you will, at John 1, 14 and 15. And we're first going to see just this general glorious truth that Jesus dwells with us. John 1, 14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and full of truth verse 15 john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who come he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me this is the great classic verse on the doctrine of the incarnation that God came and that he dwelled. That Jesus uh, was fully embodied as a human, physically, materially, in this world when he got here. Another way of saying this is that Jesus put on human clothes. Philippians 2.7 says that he was the form of humanity. So when Jesus came, he was fully human. And if you think about those stories from the gospel, you probably think of all these human-like stories, right? Like, like if you think about it, when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, something very human happened. He got hungry. There's other instances where Jesus, when he had a long day of traveling or a long day of teaching, you know what, he'd ha- what happened? He got tired. Like, like you and I would get tired in those moments. we read an instance of him being so tired, he takes a nap on a boat when a storm comes. I'm also sure, this maybe sounds weird, but when Jesus got hot, when it was hot outside, you know what happened? He probably got sweaty. When it was cold, he shivered. Jesus probably needed haircuts. Those are silly, but the reality of it is when you think about the cross, when those nails went through his hands and went through his wrist, that actually physically hurt him. But So Jesus was here in the flesh, but in that he doesn't abandon his divinity. Because as you should think about those stories, not only are there aspects of him being fully human, but there's aspects of those stories that he is fully God. So even though he got tired, he also walked on water. So even though he got hungry, he also healed the lame so that they could walk. There's also these instances where, okay, maybe he got sweaty, but he also would tell a storm to quit raging and quit raging. There are instances where, okay, maybe those nails hurt him when they drove through his hands, but he also rose from the dead. So this God-man did things that were very human-like, and he did things that were very God-like. But the good news of of John 1.14 is that this God-man dwelled with us. Really, the dwelling is the good news. The, The fact that he was here with us. Now, to really understand the dwelling, you need to understand what he left. Because where Jesus was before he came to dwell with us, he was actually dwelling with somebody else, Right? Like Jesus was dwelling, and he was in this community relationship with the with the Trinity. And to be fair, that's a better dwelling, right? But like, think about that relationship of the Trinity. The Trinity is so close to each other; those three persons dwell in such a tight, loving way that we're monotheistic. It's one God, not not three gods, because of how close they dwell with each other. They're the model of community. Like, if you think about it. Jesus, that, that, that relationship was so loving, like they, they never had to forgive each other. Like they never hurt each other or sinned against each other, right? Like the Spirit never had to forgive the Son for something, because the Son never would sin against the Spirit. Like that's the type of loving community that they possess. They they were never harsh with each other. The Father never belittled the Son. The Son never demeaned the Spirit, because they lived in this dwelling in this community that was so marked by love and so marked by beauty and self sacrifice that they just loved each other in this way that were monotheistic. So in summary, when Jesus came to dwell with us, He left another dwelling. In fact, like I said, if we're honest, we need to be clear on this. That dwelling was a better dwelling than when he came and dwelled with us, right? When he came to us, he left something that was better when he put on those human clothes. But embedded in John 1, 14 is that he left the dwelling of another. But when he came, he, he glorifies himself in this new way. Now, the reason he left the dwelling of the Trinity was in order to dwell with us. Now, that's not to his benefit, right? Like, like this isn't a more loving place than heaven, right? There's something about that place that was more comfortable. We'll put it in that category. He left something that was more comfortable to something that is less comfortable or more uncomfortable, right? He, he left something that, that, and he did it out of love for us and he, and he had this redemptive mission to it. Like the reason he came was not because this is a more comfortable place to live, The reason why he came is because he loves you. And he has this missionary redemptive plan that he wanted to carry out. He wanted to die on the cross for your sins, thus redeeming you as his people. So when he came to dwell, this was a missionary dwelling. That's what he's doing this. This is about mission for him. It's not about him being more comfortable. He left his home and out of love for another people. And the intention of him coming was to to bring redemption to that people. But what does it mean that he dwelled with us? dwelling is all over uh, the Bible. Like, if you start back in the garden, what was, the, what was so great about the garden? What was the fact that God was dwelling with them? He walked with them in the cool of the day. And if you fast forward to the end of the Bible, what's the glorious hope of the new heavens and the new earth? That we're with God. That's the point of the tabernacle. It's the point of the temple. It's the point of the church is that God is in our midst. He, When two or three or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. Right. So, so God has this desire to dwell with his people. But I don't want to camp out on the Greek, but, but the Greek has some interesting uh, aspects that, that highlight the, the meaning of this term dwelling. It, it's in the aorist tense, which means it began at a point, but then it continues on into the present. And we understand that this dwelling actually continues on into eternity. There's also a sense in the Greek that that highlights the beginning of that. That the beginning of it was significant. Like a thunderbolt. Him coming and dwelling. There's something remarkable about the beginning of it. But also there's an aspect of the Greek that that it's complex which emphasizes the, the wholeness or the totality of his dwelling. So the Greek term itself highlights that there's this thunderbolt moment where God comes He dwells with his people that continues on into eternity. But also the way he dwells is in this holistic or this total way. So in other words, Jesus doesn't do some sort of drive by dwelling. Like when Jesus comes, he's steadfast in his dwelling. The way he dwells with us is that he remains. He was patient. He he fully dwelled. He was present. When Jesus dwells with his, with his people, he, he, he resides with, he dwells with all of humanity. He does it away to where he doesn't hold back. Like he opens the entirety of who he is. He's generous with his time. He's generous with his person, with who he is. That's the way he resides with us. That's the way he dwells with us, is he dwells with all of who he is. And, if, and just in the scriptures, he doesn't just pop in on Easter morning and then he's out. He stays for over 30 years. Like he stays with them. He he doesn't, he's there through the good times or through the bad times. That's the way he dwells. He dwells with the entirety of his being and he dwells in a way that is steadfast. Isn't that glorious? That's the point here is him dwelling displays his glory. Like when we ponder Him coming and dwelling with us, we're supposed to marvel at it. There's something instinctively glorious about it. It it says in, in verse 14 that He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. All of this points to the fact that He is glorious. The way He dwelled displays His renown. It displays His splendor. It displays His glory. So as we look at His dwelling, we're supposed to marvel at it. Isn't it glorious that He totally dwelled with us? Isn't it good news that Jesus came, that he's wholly present with us, that he's with us through the good times and through the bad. He steadfastly resides with us for eternity. His presence is complete, and it's for eternity. His presence displays his glory. Maybe these are goofy examples for you. But as you think about how he relates to the world, how he, how he dwells, it's so different than the way we dwell. Like, I, I, this, is, this is silly. But I pop in every now and then on like those uh, entertainment shows. And there's something about those that, that are so shallow, right? Like, like those people, they dwell with the world in such a way that they're just kind of becoming like the world. They're no different from the world. Well, Jesus dwelled with the world differently. Like, like he was a city set on a hill. Like he points to something more magnificent than the world, something more glorious than the world. Maybe this is another dumb example. But, but think of like a, a drunken sailor. He lands in a port, And he looks around at the world around him and his goal is to take advantage of the world. Maybe he he takes a teenage bride and he opens a sweatshop. And and his whole point is, okay, the way I dwell in the world is is I'm going to take advantage of the world. Jesus, again, does something different. I mean, we're looking at him as the light of the world. He points to something more glorious. He points to something more virtuous. Something something better than the world. He points us up to something greater. That's the way he dwells in the world. You you might think of like, like an enlightened anthropology professor his relationship to the world is it's all a lab he's just observing the world jesus he didn't come just observing the world jesus is like a band leader like gathering people up participating in this glorious thing that he's doing pointing to something that's more that's more brilliant and calling us to it he dwelled in order to shine his glory now it gets more specific in this verse doesn't it not only does he dwell to display his glory, but it talks about that he was full of grace and full of truth. So shining his glory meant that he displayed his grace. And God's glory is connected to God's grace. In other words, God is glorious because of his grace. Further, when he's gracious, he's glorified, right? When, when God gives things to people that they don't deserve, when he extends mercy, when he extends grace, when they deserve justice, God is glorified in that. right? grace is by, just by definition unmerited favor and i've shared uh, on different weeks that that grace is really about receiving mercy or forgiveness when justice is deserved so it's like receiving this wonderful christmas gift when really what you deserve is a lump of coal that's grace uh, ephesians 2 8 says that we are saved by grace That it's him doing it. It's his word, not not our good works. So he gives us something good that we don't deserve. And being saved by grace, that brings God glory, not us, right? When we think about our salvation, we end up singing praises to him. We, we, We create a whole holiday to sing praises to God for him coming. You see, he gave it graciously, therefore we sing Christmas songs to him. But, of course, the, the gray hairs in the room will confirm and agree with me that God's grace doesn't end at salvation, but it only begins, right? Those of you who were maybe saved decades ago, as you look back at your life, isn't grace thematic to your life? Like don't you look back and just see God's mercy over and over and over again? You see His goodness? You see your salvation, that, that grace that He extended at salvation, that, that's really just a beginning. That, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. That we now live in, in this relationship with God that he just extends his grace over and over again. But Jesus was also fully gracious is what he says here. That means at the core of who he is, is grace. He is a gracious God. And out of that spills out a gracious message. And out of that spills out these gracious actions and deeds. So all of it, his message and his acts, all of those things are gracious. They're good things. They're merciful things to a humanity that doesn't deserve it. He displayed his grace when he was here. And we got to see it. See it on full display. But also, he is shining his glory. It also means that he displayed his truth. The, the term here is, is a parallel to the Hebrew term emmet. Which is used for truth, but it's the type of truth that is, that is steadfast, that is faithful, that is consistent. That's the type of truth that he brought. He brought this, this faithful truth. And Emmett in, in the Old Testament is typically used in relationship to God's covenant promises to his people. So when it talks about here that he was full of truth, there's this direct connection to his gospel message. That these covenant promises that he makes with his people. So it leads you straight to a verse like John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the fact that Jesus is fully truth on display means that the message that he proclaims to us is truthful. He is the truth at the core of his being. And as a result of that, what spills out is this truthful message and this truthful life. Therefore, he teaches us truth because that's the only way he knows how to live. That message is truth because it comes from him and he is true. So when Jesus came, he lived with humanity in a way that shined glory, which meant it displayed truth. At Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus dwells with us. John one14 and 15 explained that he dwelled with us in a way that shined his glory. But also, more specifically, that shining of his glory had to do with his grace and had to do with his truth. All of that was on full display as well. We got to experience that when we are dwelling with God. So out of his full grace and out of his truth came this gospel message, came this gospel light, these gospel behaviors, these gospel actions. What good news. This is what Christmas is all about, that he came, that he dwelled with us. Friends, there's nothing better than this. This is good news. But my question is, What are we supposed to do with that good news? How are we supposed to respond to it? In one way, we could stop right here and just worship. Like, I could just sit down, Mark could come back up, and we could just keep singing. Like, I think that's a very appropriate way to respond to this, right? Like, this is good news, and the response to good news is to worship him for it. Like, we could look at this and say, okay, God came, we got to see him in all his glory. Hallelujah, let's sing God came and he shared with us this message of grace that we could be forgiven for our sins, that we don't have to earn our way into heaven, but he just, he blesses us with that. He forgives us there. And hallelujah, let's just start singing. we could say, okay, he came and and he told us truth. He told us truth, how we could have a relationship with God, how we could spend eternity in heaven with him. And we could just stop here. We could say, hallelujah, strike up the guitar and let's sing. That's one response to it. And I think that's an appropriate response. However, I think there's another response to this. The other response is, is that we can respond by following his example. You see, if if he dwelled with us in this way, I think there's a call for us to then dwell with others in the same way. Are you with me? This is the way Jesus dwelled with us. Shouldn't we then dwell with other people in the same way? Like, I, I think in here, there's an example. How do we dwell? Are we incarnating ourselves, if we want to get technical with it? Are we we leaving what is comfortable? Are we shining his glory to others? Are we displaying his grace? Are we displaying his truth? The truth that Jesus incarnated himself as a baby on Christmas means that he left what was comfortable in order to go and minister to other people. Really, at that Christmas moment, that incarnation, it's a call to go. Like Great Commission, right? Right. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go. We're called to go. Amen. Jesus models that as a baby on Christmas morning. We're, we're called to go. And, and Jesus is that great example of going. Amen. In, in other words, uh, Jesus left what was comfortable, the Trinity, in order to go to a place that was uncomfortable, our world. Another way of understanding this is he left who was like him, again, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, to go to a people who were not like him, us. He left what was loving and supportive, the Trinity, in order to go to those who were hostile to him, those who were hard to love, right? That is what happened on that Christmas morning. He left community for the mission field. Likewise, are you going and making disciples? Are you leaving what is comfortable and going to what is uncomfortable? Are you living in such a way that you're different to those around you, in such a way that you're loving them, those who are hard to love, and it's evident that you're displaying God's glory and how you're loving them? Are you dwelling with people in such a way to where you're displaying his grace and displaying his truth? Are you only enjoying deep community yet never stepping out into mission? Are you going and incarnating yourself? That incarnation, there was glory, there was grace, and there was truth. Those are the elements of his dwelling. He glorified the Father. He proclaimed that grace. He proclaimed that truth. That's the way he dwells. Let's take each one of those three in turn. You see, those serve as a guide for how we're supposed to do Specifically, we are to incarnate ourselves, but we are to do it in such a way that we glorify Jesus. I really appreciate the United Way. You know what the United Way is, right? Like, like it's one of the great charities in our country. And it serves kind of like as a, almost like an umbrella, and there's all these other charities that they support. They do wonderful work. I'm I'm really thankful for the United Way. Like, in general, they do really good work. But what I think John 1.14 is telling Christians to do is that we're not just supposed to serve needs in general. We're supposed to serve needs specifically in a way that makes Jesus famous. So, so we've started this, this ministry in partnership with a couple other ministries, another church, where every, uh, every week we're, we're, we do this drive through food pantry. Well, and so what is so great about this is people come, we, we share this food with them, but, but then we tell them, hey, Jesus gave you this food. But like it's not our church, it's not this other church, it's not this other ministry. This is really from Jesus and and then we pray for you. That's different than the United Way, isn't it? Like Jesus is specifically glorified in that moment. I, I really appreciate counselors. Like Anyone who is a counselor, like I think they're a gift from the Lord. Like I think that is a wonderful calling. If you spend your life as a counselor, I think that's wonderful. And the vast majority of people get into counseling because they really want to help people. Like in general, they want to help people. And, and I totally appreciate it. But, but as Christians, are you counseling people? Are you giving people advice that brings God glory, that, that holds Jesus up as the solution to every problem that you have? Is that the way we counsel to show that Jesus is the solution? Are you incarnating yourself? More specifically, are you glorifying Jesus in the way that you dwell? However, I, I think there's another specific way that we're supposed to display God's glory, and, and that's that we're to dwell with people in such a way that we shine Jesus's grace into the life. You see, we're, we're not to do life in a way that we're to do life in a way that highlights Jesus's grace. Now, this begins certainly with an understanding. We need to understand His grace. But it also leads to verbalizing. Like, we have to communicate about His grace. Grace, again, is just giving mercy where judgment is deserved. And if if you're to faithfully incarnate yourself... You need to verbalize about Jesus's grace to other people. You're supposed to give them mercy, but ultimately you're supposed to tell them about Jesus's grace and mercy. What He accomplished on the cross for them? We're called to speak it. We're called to explain it. We're called to persuade people in order to believe it. Now, that point's important because we can live in ways that are ungracious, right? Like if we live in ways that are ungracious, it kind of invalidates or, or makes us a hypocrite when we start talking about God's grace, right? Like like we don't have any credibility at that point. So John 1.14 is really this call to to give other people mercy when they deserve judgment. So then we can then have the grounds to communicate why we're doing it. That's what it means to dwell with people in a gracious way. But finally, John 1.14 calls us to specifically dwell and live with people in a way that shines Jesus' truth. John 1.14 uh, is so convicting because we all tend towards one of these poles, the grace pole or the truth pole, right? Like some of us are, we're, we got truth down. Some of us are more gracious in how we live to other people. But, but, but Jesus is both of those things. They're, they're never you know, in conflict with each other. We live in a moment that uh, the society is celebrating deconstructing truth. We're, 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 we we take a truth and we take it down to some sort of base meaning, but in reality, what we're doing is is we're lowering it in such a way to where then we can slip under it at, at a lower place. Jesus never does that. Oh. Jesus never deconstructs truth. Yeah. Jesus celebrates truth. Right. Jesus embraces truth, even the hard truths. He holds truth high and then lives according. Jesus doesn't diminish truth in any way. Jesus also doesn't use truth to divide or, or just to use truth to win arguments. You don't, you don't see Jesus engaging in like silly, uh, irrelevant debates, right? Like, like that's not truth for him. Truth, when you, we see it in Jesus' life, truth transforms people. Truth is what sets people free. Truth is what heals. Truth is what unites people ultimately. People who abandon truth and doctrinal claims and think it's spiritual or profound, they're doing the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus held truth high, and Jesus lived according to that truth because he knew that truth sets you free. His goal was that gospel freedom. Therefore, if we're to shine truth into the lives of people who are dwelling, it means that we need to lovingly and graciously show them the right way. And hear me, just like in Jesus' day, that is not popular. (laughs) So to live according to the truth, that's going to take courage. That's going to take conviction. You're going to have to do it differently than the people around you. But you see, when people are believing a lie, it's really a trap. Yeah, they they might hate you in the moment. But the way they're going to be set free from it is believing the truth. So the the stories that we have of people being converted or being called out of a lie... Yeah, they spent years yelling at people who shared that truth with them and fought back against it. But then at that moment, it was that truth that set them free. That's the truth that Jesus is about, proclaiming that truth. Are you going to, um, are you going or are you only staying? Are you settling from the community? Or are you using your community for mission? What, What evidence in your life demonstrates that you are incarnating yourself? Are you dwelling with people in such a way that displays God's glory and God's grace and God's truth? I have to be honest at this point, when I walk through this passage and wrestle with these truths, I, and then look at my own life, uh, I am both inspired and I'm also burdened. <laughs> like I'm inspired in such a way to where I want to live that way. But as I, I look at my life, I, I see so much failure in that department. Like, I'll say it this way. Incarnational ministry, that is a dream that Kristen and I have tried to live by for 25 years. That's been our prayer for this church. That we would be able to plant a church that would then be this gospel light incarnating itself. These people that would love and serve their community in all these glorious ways. And, And that's so inspiring to me. But as I look at this, rarely have I really lived up to it. Like there's an aspect to this that, that is just burdensome to me. Like I want to follow Jesus's example, but I fail so often in doing this. So in some ways, John 1 14 to me is is a roadmap. It's a manual. It's certainly very inspiring. But is it burdensome to you? Like as we've gone down that list, are, are you just seeing like I didn't do it that way when I. You know, called about the credit card or the bill. That, you know, and I was on hold for a long time, and I'm getting more irritable. Then the guy gets on there, and I can't understand him. And then it, I'm sharing too much about my struggles. <laughs> the greatest news of John one fourteen is this: that dwelling with Jesus is the key to being able to dwell with others in ways that displays Jesus's glory, grace, and truth. Amen. You see, dwelling. Dwelling with Jesus is actually the solution to living this way. Yeah. That's the way we're able to do it. Yeah. That's the way we're, we're able to accomplish this incarnational call. You see, when we truly walk with God, we see his glory. And then our heart's desire is to help other people see it. Yeah. Like, like when, when people have, have experienced Jesus as, as life-giving as a result of being around me. Like, it's the result of my soul being filled by being around Him. But, like, that's how that happens in my life. Like, I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. My my mind is pondering these marvelous gospel truths. I'm casting my fears upon Him. I'm capturing my thoughts. I'm going to Him in prayer. I'm filled with joy by the glories of Christ. And as a result of that, then people around me are changed. That's how it works in my life. It begins with dwelling with him. Think about the times when you have been most gracious. Think about the times when you've been most effective at sharing the gospel. Like like maybe it's uh, someone's like really ugly to you. But but you're surprisingly very empathetic in return. Like, Like you're very loving to them. You know, you forgive them. And you forgive them in such a way that like it softens their heart. And then all of a sudden, like, you guys are, are drawing closer to each other. Like, what a glorious moment. Like, like think about that moment. Think, think about the moment when you were really hesitant to speak about the gospel to somebody. But, but then you just had such a burden to share with them. But you kind got to push through the awkwardness of that spiritual conversation, and, and, and you share with them. Think about that moment where uh, maybe you, you somebody shared in your small group some sort of struggle that they had. And you thought, man, I have no idea what to say here. And then all of a sudden, God brought that Bible verse. Maybe you'd learned it back in elementary school. And you thought, oh, my goodness, that, that verse is perfect for this. And, and you speak up and you say, yeah, but this verse says this. And, and that person says, oh, my goodness. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're able to minister God's word to somebody in a really helpful way. Like, like think about those moments. Don't you give God credit for those moments? Like, like as you look back at them and, and maybe dissect those moments, how did it get there? How was it so effective? Like, isn't it connected to the fact of you dwelling with God? Like, like when you were dwelling with God, your, your heart's in the right place. Like you like you're, you you have confidence in ways and freedom in ways that you didn't have before. And God just sometimes just brings up that Bible verse. It's just perfect in that moment. Like those are the results of dwelling with Him, isn't it? Like, like that, that's the fruit of dwelling with Him, is that you're more effective at dwelling with other people. Now, I think it's important to stop and say, you might be thinking, I've never had those moments. Brother, maybe that's because you're not dwelling with the Lord. Maybe that's because you're not rising with him every morning. And maybe what you need to hear today is come to me. God calling you to come to him. Because when you come to him, he transforms your heart in ways that you're able to better minister to others. What I want you to hear today is that God came and dwelled with us. And when he came, those around him saw his glory. They saw his grace. They saw his truth. And we're called likewise to dwell with other people in the same way. Dwell with people where we magnify the glory of God. To live in these incarnational ways where we leave what's comfortable, we go to what's uncomfortable. Where we leave what is safe and loving and maybe go to places and minister to people that are unloving or hard to love. And that we dwell with them in such a way to where we magnify the Lord. But we do all of that out of this source of being of dwelling with the Lord. That he becomes the source of all that. It's not just a call to go do it in our own stream. But he sources it as well. God is with us, especially in the mission. That's what I think is the great news of this passage. He's calling us to these glorious things, but he's with us in the mission. The incarnation, John 1, 14, it's all about God with us. If dwelling with Jesus empowers us to follow his example and to missionally dwell with others, then we have to first believe that truth. Do you believe that truth? Do you believe that he's the source of your mission? Some of us have spent years misunderstanding this aspect of our spirituality. And, and what that means is that some of, us, some of us have been trying to faithfully obey, but do it out of our own strength. Wow. Some of us have been, okay, we're trying to do ministry, but as we look back, we're really relying upon our own personalities, our own giftedness, and we're not relying upon Jesus. Further, some of us believe that believe this and when we don't have the desire to do it. We don't have this desire to be missionaries. We use it as an excuse to check out. I'm in this category. I wake up, I don't really have a desire to minister that person, it's not the condition of my heart. I say, oh, I'm out. When in reality, what this is calling us to do is to say, hey, you've got somebody behind you that will source that. Even when you don't want to do it, you can cry out to him for help. You can cry out and begin with, I mean, I'm blown away at the number of prayers throughout my day that are God changed my heart. <laughs> Are you there yes. over and over God is right there with us when you recognize I don't want to do this This is not my heart's desire What John 1, 1 14 is saying you have somebody with you in that moment You have somebody dwelling with you to help you accomplish the mission however If I give you a Bible quiz and ask you if dwelling with Jesus is the key to being a missionary You would probably answer that quiz correctly, right? but functionally practically are you dwelling with Jesus? Are you actually dwelling with Jesus today? Are you going to him in prayer? More specifically, are are you taking your trials? The thing that is stressing you out the most, do you lay that at his feet? When you're communing with him in prayer, are you asking him to, to change your heart? Or is it this Christmas list of desires and wants? Are you asking him to change the heart of others? Are you asking him to help you love people in your life the way he loves them? What about those who are difficult to love? Friends, I also pray that you're actually walking away from John 1.14, hoping that his dwelling empowers you to dwell. I think this is a very hopeful verse. I think if we rush past it, this missionary call to incarnate ourselves is very burdensome. But in reality, when we realize that he is with us, He's with us in this. This thing actually becomes really hopeful. You see, it's hopeful for me because because I can believe and understand that he is going to be faithfully transforming my heart when I need him to. When I go to that person and I'm sharing the gospel, I know that God's with me there. I know that he can transform that heart, that he's with me in those moments. Do you have hope for the future that he will change your heart? You have present optimism because you have hope that he will go before you in the conversions he calls you, the, I'm sorry the conversations that he calls you to have with unbelievers in your life. There's conversations that you need to have. He's going before you in those things. He's with you in those conversations. When you are with him, he empowers you to be with others. Find joy, hoping that dwelling with him will empower you to dwell with others. This is the good news of John 1, 14, that he's with us. He's dwelling with us. He dwelled with us in the specific way. We're to follow that example, but as we follow that example, he is with us in the mission. Today was kind of the the deadline for our angel tree. I I love the angel tree project we do every year. And I typically, I I get behind, and then I get to the online list, and and I marvel that everything is typically gone by the time I get there. I was kind of embarrassed by that, that, you know, look at the list and the pastor hadn't grabbed anything. Well, it's because you're awesome and you grab it too quick. Um, I, I really do marvel at that, and, and it's so cool. How I just Even how quickly people grab things uh, for this family in our community. I think the angel tree is a, is a great example, a little project of what we're talking about here. Dwelling in our community in a way that brings God glory, that, that manifests His grace, that shines the light of His truth in our community This week, I read a story about a lady named Rosa, and she had three children, uh, uh, Vivian, Bobby, and and Bianca. Uh, Rosa was a stay-at-home mother, at least till her husband got arrested and was sentenced to jail. And she had to go to work and it, it sent the family in financial rule when, when a when a dad is sent off to jail and is incarcerated it, it is a great burden on the family right for for obvious reasons and you know she had been out of the workforce for a number of years and and the you know the jobs that she qualified for and could get they were just kind of under the income level of, uh, of such that it, it just really didn't provide for the needs of her family well, that's maybe just kind of a fancier, whitewashed way of saying that she was having trouble putting food on the table. And that became even more burdensome the closer they got to that first Christmas of her husband being in jail. Rosa desperately missed her husband, and she was heartbroken because her kids desperately missed their father. But as they got closer to Christmas, she realized, hey, we're, there's really no way for me to afford a Christmas this year. In her desperation, she returned to the faith of her youth and and hearing those Christmas songs and even pondering what Christmas is all about, she really remembered, you know what? Growing up in the church, I was taught that God is with us. And that became her simple prayer. She was desperate. She was alone. She was crying out to God for help. She knew Christmas was all about God coming and being with us. And that became our prayer. God, we're alone. We're desperate. Be with us in our need. Help us in our time of need the counselor at the kids' school was kind of keeping close tabs on what was going on. And, and she knew that, okay, dad was, was in prison, and she knew that this uh, family had needs. And then a local church, a local church like ours, had come to the school and said, hey, do you have any families in need? We'd love to do an angel tree for some different families. She immediately thought of Rosa's family in kind of a nonchalant way. She brought the different kids at different points in and kind of asked them what they wanted for Christmas and noted probably the sizes of their clothes. She put up this list, gave it to the church, and then the, the church set out getting all these gifts. And the closer they got to Christmas, Rosa got a knock at her door, and she goes to the door, and there's this couple from the local church, and they have all these presents in their hands. And the really sweet thing is the kids gathered around. They said, hey, these are presents from your father. He, he wanted you to have a great Christmas this year. Of course, Rosa knew what was going on and teared up and As the kids were opening presents, they they just got to pray for Rosa. But the really powerful thing for her was as that couple left, the the man turned back to Rosa and he said, never forget that Jesus is always with you. What a glorious Christmas tree. No matter what, he is always with us. God came to dwell with us. And in so doing, he did it in such a way that we got to see him in all his glory. We got to experience his grace. We got to, we, we learned of his truth. And as we follow his example, his example of incarnating ourselves, dwelling with other people in the same way, the news only gets better because dwelling with him actually empowers us to then dwell with other people. May we dwell with him as we dwell with the world. Amen. Let's pray. Right.